There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lead with Empower podcast. I believe this is episode nine of season two. Our guest this week, before I even introduce, I'm going to give you a quote so you get a little flair for who we're going to be talking to. This is from his website, TannerKern.com, and I love it. The road to a goal, no matter how big or how small, is a process. There will be highs, lows, and experiences of every feeling in between, but you can't cheat the process towards success. Our guest this week is Tanner Kern. Tanner's from Essex, Connecticut. He's a graduate of Xavier High School, where he played football for four years, a year of wrestling and baseball. He's also a former Division I football player, played uh, ball at Lafayette before uh, transferring to UConn, and we'll get into that as we get into the episode right here. But currently, Tanner is an endurance athlete and content creator based in Connecticut, and he'll be at some point in the future making a jump, I believe, up to uh, Springfield College to continue his education. But Tanner, welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast, man. How are you? I'm doing good, Dan. I appreciate the uh, awesome introduction. You know, I'm usually on the other side of the mic, so feels really good to hear someone give me a great introduction. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you listening and, and you're going to learn about Tanner's podcast and a bunch of other great stuff that he's doing, but uh, this is a first for me where uh, Tanner's a guest on the lead with empower podcast. And we're going to take a quick halftime at some point and I'm going to be a guest on his podcast. So uh, should be an interesting uh, afternoon or recording here, Tanner. Yeah, um, definitely. Hey, so before we get into anything, how's uh, how are you? We're in the middle of the middle of this thing that was supposed to be a two week uh, ordeal back in March. How are you? How's your family? Everybody healthy? Doing well? Yeah, everyone's doing well in the family. Uh, you know, it was a. It's been it's been hard, obviously, at times, and um, you just got to make the most of it. You got to schedule your day and make the most out of what you're going to do. I, I went into the pandemic saying, I'm going to come out stronger in as much different categories as I can possibly do that. And, you know, it's, I've been doing pretty well so far, you know, my golf game is not better, <laughs> which I'm a little disappointed about, but you know, physically, mentally, I feel a lot stronger than I went than I was when I went into the pandemic. So that's, that's good. You can't have them all, you know, the, if you get the physical and the mental and, and the golf game is still suffering a hey, two out of three, that's a, well, well above a Hall of Fame batting average right there. <laughs> yeah, but two out of three shots on the golf course ain't, ain't making it happen. So, yeah, I'm hitting a lot of line drives to left field, um, <laughs> a lot of grounders up the middle. I just want to hit a hit a long drive to center, but it's not happening for me yet. <laughs> Tanner, we've played golf. Uh, we have, a, a, you know, a couple times over the past couple months, and um, I'm not going to talk trash because I'm in the same boat except for my – line drives and ground balls or to the other side to right field as a, as a lefty swinger. So, but it's fun. It, we, you know, great time, you know, getting, getting to hang out with you and, and Greg and CJ during those couple rounds. And, uh, Hey, you know, the golf game is, it's one of those things. That's a process. All right. I don't, I don't think any of us are going to be a finished product at our level of, uh, golf there. <laughs> no, it, it's a long process. It's taking a lot longer than I wanted to, but like you said, man, it applies to everything else in life. I mean, it's going to take time. So you, you, you've set the, the personal goal for yourself of kind of, you know, improvement, right? Development in, in, in all aspects. What are some of the things you've been doing? You know, obviously our ability to do certain things have been somewhat limited. How have you been productively filling your time over the past? What's now, was it eight months, seven months, you know, of this, of this pandemic challenge we're all facing? Yep. So I, I mean, I was originally supposed to go to Springfield. I graduated from UConn this past spring. Um, didn't end up going, you know, the pandemic uh, prevented, not prevented that, but it wasn't the right move for me this year. So I ultimately started TannerKern.com back in um, probably March, February, March time. Um, so, you know, I was just doing some writing, trying to motivate people to get outside and, 
you know, work out, be the best version of themselves mentally, physically, and, you know, sharing my thoughts with the world. So been doing a lot of writing, um, doing, been doing a lot of podcasting, been doing a lot of working out. Um, I recently uh, took a job doing some freelance writing. Um, so I've been doing a ton of sports writing. So really on my computer a lot, but I'm making efforts to get up and get out of bed or not out of bed, but get off the couch and, you know, go run as much as I can get outside because, you know, looking at your computer all day can definitely, definitely be a little strain, uh, strain on the eyes, but it's been good. I've been just filling my day with as much stuff as I can possibly do. That's productive. Great. Great. And yeah, it, you know, especially for someone who's an active individual or, who, you know, who's used to being out and about on their feet all the time, the transition back to, you know, the, the home quote unquote home offices and staring at a screen for, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, it, it, it can be, it can be draining, you know? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the zoom fatigue is real. It's just as hard as a marathon fatigue. I will say. <laughs> <laughs> That's but good to know. I can there. say I kind of did a marathon just based on zoom fatigue. That's good. All That's right. right. <laughs> You're off to a hot start, my friend. <laughs> yep. All right. So, Hey, we're going to, we're going to go kind of right back to um, the earlier days. So you're, uh, uh, from Essex, you ended up at Xavier high school, 2011, graduated in 2015. Give us a little bit of insight into the decision to go to Xavier. Um, you know, what were some of the, 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 the factors that, that influenced that decision to attend Xavier high school? Uh, so I was always a big kid. Um, you know, I think I, when I entered Xavier, I was 250 pounds. So I was, I was always a big kid, you know, I was pretty tall and, um, football was my thing. I love football. And my dad played football at UConn and I knew I wanted to try to play football at the highest level I could play at. Um, you know, when you're a little kid, you think that's the NFL. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Fortunately that didn't happen, but, um, you know, so you always want to play at the highest level you can play at. Uh, so, you know, Xavier obviously had an unbelievable football program. Uh, they won the state championship in 2005, and then they won a state championship right before I got there in 2010. So, you know, I'd gone to Xavier football summer camps, baseball summer camps. Um, I think my mom signed me up for a math camp too, which I, I'm not sure about I, that. I went but... to that same one back in the day too. You're right. <laughs> so, um, you know, I was always had Xavier on my radar, and I remember it was – 2010 they were playing Notre Dame on the road it was on CPTV sports my parents went out to dinner that night they got me Chinese food and I was sitting there and I'm watching I'm watching Xavier play Notre Dame on TV and I remember Sean Jr. uh stripped the ball to seal the deal and I was like I'm going to Xavier and uh it was the best decision I ever made and you know you got the amazing academics as well but football was the catalyst and obviously coach Marinan's leadership was a big reason I uh ended up going there yeah, so you, you bring up Coach Marin and and, and uh, his first year at Xavier as a coach was way back in 94, and it was my freshman year. He was one of the assistants on the freshman program, you know, so he had, he is a graduate of Xavier, and, and he had come back. I didn't know it was his first year at the time. I was, you know, 13, 14-year-old freshman just trying to stay afloat and make it through a practice, you know, but uh, – he was a dynamite coach. I had him for four years. What looking back on it now, define Sean Marinin as a, as a leader. And what are some of the things uh, over the course of your four years playing ball for him that are, are still with you to this day? Wow. Where do I start? Um, <laughs> I don't show up late. I'm going to say that right now. I remember there was a sign in the weight room. It was said, you know, I, they don't have it in there anymore, but it was on time. I uh, know early is on time. On time is late. And if you're late, don't even show up. It was probably in there when you played there. Um, was. <laughs> but it's like, that's always stuck with me. Never show up late because you were going to get a ripping from coach Marin and you were going to have to run extra. And, you know, he instilled that in me and he also instilled, you got to do the extra work. You got to do the work that no one else is willing to do. And that's the reason Xavier's been so successful in the past is because every kid there bought into the mission, whether you played or you didn't play, you sat the bench or you were on the field, you had to buy into what coach Mariner was preaching every single day, uh, which was, you're going to do whatever it takes to win because this program is bigger than yourself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he taught me so much, um, you know, just showing up on time, hard work, dedication. And also I, one thing that I love about him was that man didn't really give me many compliments till I was out the door my senior year. It was delayed gratification, but you had to do everything right along the way. 
And then ultimately I won the, uh, the Larry McHugh senior leadership award um, in the speech, you know, he gave was really memorable for me. Um, but it was just, you know, this kid did everything right in the weight room, in the classroom, on the field. But I didn't hear that until that day, yeah. you know, so you really had to trust yourself and you had to know that you were doing the right thing every day. And he wasn't going to compliment you and not many people are going to compliment you in life. So, you know, that was something I do really appreciate from Coach Marinan. He, he would definitely let you know when you missed the mark. Oh, yeah, yeah. He just wouldn't let you know when you, you did a good job. <laughs> not much, not much. <laughs> It would, it would just, again, as you mentioned, it was, you know, I think trying not to get caught up in celebrating too early, right? You know, that, that premature celebration of, yeah, the job's done. No, it's not, you know, there's another game or another year, or another quarter, whatever it might be. And that's uh, something that definitely sticks out with, uh, to me with, with Sean as well. I will tell you, I think you guys, and you won't believe it because you weren't around. I think you guys lucked out. He got a little softer as he aged a little bit at Xavier high school too. If you saw him circa 94 long flowing hair and he, he was, yeah. a, he was an animal. It was a, it was a lot of fun back then. I've heard, I've heard some stories and that, that's scary to think that he was soft on us, <laughs> <laughs> but I have heard some stories. I, you know, if he was soft on us, man, I, I hate to see what he was like to you guys, but he, <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the, the most influential person I came across at Xavier um, on the field, in the classroom, he was amazing guy, you know, Hall of Famer. Yeah. He's he's the best. I mean, yeah. and it was hard going through it, but right now looking back, I mean, he's the reason I'm at where I am in my life today. 100%. And and one of the things I admire most about Coach Meriden as well is he absolutely walked the walk, right? When he talked about hard work and commitment and being on time, like that guy was in the weight room every time the weight room was open, right? And that guy was out to practice early you know, in the early days when he wasn't teaching at Xavier, coming from a full-time you know job that's not at Xavier High School, he was the first guy there, uh, first guy out to the practice field, last last guy in. So when you look at it as a young, moldable, you know, student athlete, when you look up and this guy's telling you to do these things, but then you see him doing those things, and I think that's what a lot of people don't know about him, the the amount of behind the scenes work that he put in to to set the program up to be successful under his watch. Yeah. And I'm gonna be honest too, as a, as a kid, you don't, you know, you don't really see what he's doing scheme wise, game plan wise every week, but you know, you did see him out on the practice field early in the weight room every day till seven o'clock in the off season. But, you know, since I was coaching at Xavier the past two years and, you know, Greg, so your brother, the offensive coordinator there uh, now he's on your podcast before it. I listened to, I love that episode. Um, but you know, he was, he kind of came in because of coach Marin and from what I understand and what I've, you know, I've talked to him about and just seeing how hard he works, putting a game plan together for the week, how hard he works, you know, in, in film and all that and how, what he expected out of me, that was kind of a, a Marin mentality. I never got that because I never coached with coach Marin, but um, you know, it's, he told me he learned everything from coach Marin, how, how to do it right. And yeah, uh, that was one thing I've, I took from him, definitely in my coaching career. A hundred percent. And that's one of the things we talk about at Empower with leadership is that, 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 the legacy piece of it. Right. So, you know, coach Marin is not there anymore. He's coaching at the college level, but you know, he left some stuff behind for the guys that are still in the program. And, you know, I'm hoping, you know, to hear you talk about how Greg has passed some of that stuff on to you, you know, it's, it's inspiring to know that, Hey, at some point Tanner's going to pass that on to the next young coach, um, whether it's at Xavier or somewhere else about how to do it right. And that's a big part of leadership is, you know, what your actions do in the moment, but also that lasting effect they're going to have on the people that are, you know, in the program or in the organization. Yeah. And I think that's why Xavier is such a special place and why the football program was so special for so long. It's because, you know, I can equate this to the kids, like the seniors taught the sophomores how to do things. And yeah. then, you know, that, like, I remember my first day of practice, you got kids like Ben Lyle and, uh, Ben Lyle was one of them, but, uh, you know, he was, he was kind of my mentor on the offensive line, you know, um, but he really taught me how you're supposed to practice every single day. And I passed that on to kids that were younger than me when I became a senior. And that's why, that's why you win state championships for yep. four out of five years. Yep. That's right. hundred percent. Um, in addition to football, so you, um, you dabbled, dabbled a little bit in baseball and wrestling didn't, didn't work out for you. Tell us a little bit about uh, that, that decision to maybe not chase down those two sports as well. Um, you know, I was, I love baseball. I would say 
to this day, you know, baseball's still right up there with football for one of my favorite sports. Uh, you know, I, 315 pound first baseman wasn't ideal. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's not possible. Yeah. I, was, I was a hell of a, hell of a DH. Um, but you know, I played freshman baseball. I think I got like four hits all season. So I kind of packed in that dream. Um, and then wrestling. So I was in the weight room in the, the fall of whatever this off season, right after my freshman football season. And, you know, we're in the weight room and coach St. George approaches me and I had no clue who he is at the time. He's like, Hey, what do you think about wrestling? I'm like, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> you know, he was, the, he was the varsity offensive line coach. I'm like, All right, I don't want this guy to hate me. So he walks me in, I shake Cunningham's hand. And, uh, next day I'm, I'm wrestling in socks cause I don't wrestling shoes and literally got beat up the whole winter by Sean Marin and yep. Ben Lyle. Um, so that was kind of what I did all winter. Didn't love it. Could have been, I could have been a good wrestler, but it just, you know, it wasn't for me and everyone wanted me to wrestle, but I didn't want to wrestle. Yep. Um, so I just, I said, I can't do it. And I just fully focused on football. Yeah. Great. And then outside of, uh, you know, athletics, you're, you were involved in the, the Xavier Leadership Institute and you were a big Falcon for a freshman, which is kind of like a mentor role, you know, that seniors play for the, the first year students, you were in the National Honor Society and the Spanish and Science Honor Society as well. So well-rounded individual as a young, young puppy back in the day. Uh, well, you know, you see me walking down the halls of Xavier. I don't know the, the NHF stuff and the big Falcon. That was probably pushed aside to the, the football role, but you know, I did, I did, get, I did uh, spread my wings through the halls of Xavier, as they would say. <laughs> uh, so you finish off at Xavier and then there's a jump to you, you make the jump to the college level Talk a little bit about number one, your decision to attend Lafayette and, and, and get involved in their, in their football program there. Uh, so, you know, like I said before, I went to Xavier to play division one football. That was kind of my main goal. And I wanted to play at the highest academic and athletic institution that I could play at. Um, so I got my first offer uh, from Brown uh, in my junior year. Yeah. Um, I got an art for Dartmouth, but you know, Ivy's, they just support your application. So my first scholarship offer was actually the university of Rhode Island. Um, I was lucky enough to get another 10 offers, um, one double a offers. And ultimately I chose Lafayette because it was, you know, it's Patriot league. I would say is one step below the Ivy's as far as academics. Um, it was a scholarship and the, the a very competitive football program in the Patriot league. So um, it was kind of the perfect choice at the time. It didn't ultimately end up being the perfect choice, but yeah. um, it, it shaped me when I went there, I would say, you know, it was, it was a really great move right out of high school um, because they had a great football program, great academics. Would you go in, what was your in, intended uh, major of study when you went to Lafayette football? Uh, Hey, we're not here to play school, man. (laughs) No, so I went, I did, you know, it was a liberal arts uh, education and I would say I got the whole liberal arts experience. I was a economics major, (laughs) a history major, and even a film and media major. So who would have known? I'd be using all all three of those to this day. Which, but it gets back to, I think the quote I read that you have prominently on your, on your website about the, the journey and that, you know, there's going to be those highs and there's going to be those lows and you just kind of keep on trudging forward and do the best that you can in the situation. And you know, before you know it, you're, you're doing something pretty, that you, you can be pretty darn proud of. Oh yeah. It, it takes time. I mean, you gotta, you gotta explore before you know what you want to do. And I did my fair share of exploring academically there um, and I left there still not knowing what I wanted to do. So, <laughs> but we're, we're on that road now. Yeah, there you go. So you're a, a, a true freshman starter on the offensive line at a D one school. You're coming from a, a, a really, you know, I would say a great at the time, probably cream of the crop football program in the state of Connecticut, but there's a jump, right? There, there's a gap in, the, the high school level of competition to the, the college level of competition. What was, you know, that first practice in pads, what was the thing that was the biggest like shock to your system? Like, Holy crap. I don't know if I'm ready for this. Yeah. So got to Lafayette. I was graduated on May 31st, went down there June 1st. Um, so I was down there the whole summer, kind of got a feel for, everything in the program and you know who I'd be competing against so my first day in pads 
uh, we were doing inside run and this kid came up to me in the locker room before practice said something to me. Uh, you know, I will leave that. I'll leave that off the script, but, um, so I, I was playing center. I was running with the twos at that. I immediately went into run with the twos, which was awesome. But you know, you're playing against really good competition. Um, I think he was a senior at the time. So he, I went, I was doing a down block on him, got into him. He threw, I, he, you know, he was John. I threw a punch at him, bench clear and brawl. So I kind of established myself as the badass there right away. But there were times when I felt overmatched. I felt overmatched a lot because they were just bigger. Kids are bigger, faster, and stronger than you. We were, I got a good story. It's not practice, but we were playing. We we're open up against William and Mary uh, at home my freshman year. They were a top 25 team in the FCS. Uh, they had a kid, a linebacker named Luke Rhodes, who was going to, he was going to get drafted. He's still in the NFL. He's long snapping. He's not playing linebacker, but he, he is still in the NFL. Uh, He plays for the Colts last time I checked, but where was another freshman starter? Me, I was starting at center. And then my buddy was starting at uh, guard and he was a, another freshman. And we were, we were in study hall the whole week before the first game, like looking at this kid's Facebook. And this kid was like jacked out of his mind. Like what, what do, what do we get ourselves into on Saturday night? But, you know, you just learn, you adjust, and it became, you know, like I said, it's process. The week week one wasn't great. I graded out at, a, I think, a 67, but by my last game against Lehigh, I graded out at an 86. So, you know, oh, wow. it's, it's, it's a process. You got to just – you got to keep going, and there were tough times every day at practice, and there were times where I felt like I was dominating. So, yeah. you know, he got a little bit of both worlds. What were – and then on the, on the converse of that – your time at Xavier high school prepared you for your time at, uh, you know, as part of the Lafayette football program, how? So I would say my time at Xavier prepared me from a physical standpoint. You know, when you're an offensive lineman, you got to be strong physically and you got to be strong mentally, obviously. Um, I would say I had all the physical strength. I was ready to play. I was one of the stronger kids on the team, Um, but I wasn't there mentally yet uh, to be competing against 23 year olds. And my first start was as a 17 year old, Yeah, you know, oh, so, you know, you got some kids who are 23 at the time. So uh, they definitely prepared me to be strong, to be fast, to know what work I had to do to put in, to prepare myself. But mentally, I mean, yeah, the SEC on a Friday night in Connecticut is one thing, but you know, division one football is a different thing. And it, there's a little bit of an adjustment period. And I didn't, I didn't get that, but you know, it, it worked out great for me now. That's a, that was a little trial by fire. Yeah, well, that's what they said. We were uh, the strength coach, Coach Potts, awesome guy. He said to me um, when we were uh, getting ready for the first game, he's like, oh, you're going to – it's going to be a baptism by fire for you on Friday night. And then I, I actually went to media day for another game three weeks later, and they are like, oh, you're starting as a freshman. How's that been? I said, well, I guess it's kind of been a baptism by fire. I didn't really know what that meant until Coach Potts told me in the weight room one day, but they're like, and then they started laughing. And then the story came out that I was only 17 when I started my first game. And they're like, fire the coaching staff. <laughs> Starting a 17 year old. Oh man. What, um, look at, so how long were you at? Like, cause I know you, you left Lafayette, you had some, and we'll get into the, the, the injury side of it in a moment. What, uh, from, uh, academic social just general development outside of sports looking back on your time at Lafayette what could you what could you draw from your time there as still sticking with you to this day you know probably what five six years down the road from when you were actually there um I didn't realize the importance of academics when I was at Lafayette um that was that's something I do regret to this day because uh, Xavier, I was a great student. And you know, I left Lafayette with over a 3-0, but it's still, I wasn't putting my best foot forward. Yeah. And I look back on that now and, you know, I wish I would have done something different because I got caught up in that division one mentality that you're here to, because I mean, someone's job is on the line for you to be playing football every day. Yeah. And that's, that's the truth, whether you want to sugarcoat it or not, you're there to play football and you got to get, you got to get your grades. Yeah. Um, so that's something I wish I would have taken a little more seriously than I did. Um, but like I said, it was a process. I was, I was immature at the time. I wasn't, I felt I was just there to play football. And then you got the big NFL dreams. And even though, you know, very few people get to the NFL from a one double a school, but um, it was just, I wasn't, I was there to play football and ultimately that didn't happen in the end. So 
I, you know, it taught me though, how the importance of academics when I got back to UConn and I realized, okay, this is, this is why I'm in school now. Yep. Talk to us. So, um, there was a pretty, pretty severe injury, um, that, that pretty much ended you, ended your football playing career. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and that transition from D one athlete student instead of student athlete to student you know, athlete, uh, student athlete <laughs> to, uh, you know, the transition to, you know, a retired athlete who is now a full-time student. I was the, it was the hardest thing I've had to go through in my life to this day. I mean, when you think of something that you've been doing since you were, you know, five years old uh, and you do it till you're you know, 20 years old and you're doing it for 15 years and you went to Xavier to play college football. You went to college to, to have a great football career, you know, your whole life. I mean, in the second grade, I wore a football jersey to school every single day. Like <laughs> I love football and um, you know, and then you, you ultimately can't do it. It's really, it's, it's extremely hard. It's, it's an identity crisis. You don't know who you are anymore. Um, so I, you know, it was more recurring hits. It wasn't one hit. I would say, um, there were some hits in my freshman year that I took that I, you know, I'd black out, I'd be throwing up and I just didn't want to tell anyone because I wanted to keep playing. You wanted to stay on the field, which was the wrong call at the time, but yep. you know, we're going back to the immaturity side of things. Um, so, you know, you want to stay on the field. Uh, so I, I remember, you know, a couple hits specifically, I got hit against Harvard, which was bad. And then I got hit in practice, which was really bad. Um, so I ultimately missed my whole sophomore year. Um, I got hurt in the spring of my freshman year going into my sophomore year. So I missed the whole season. And then I tried to come back again in the spring of what would have been my sophomore year, missed my whole junior year. And then I was done. So I only, I only played in nine games at Lafayette. I started nine games as a true freshman. Um, and then the, the career went downhill from there. Uh, so at the time, you know, when I was, when I missed those games, when I missed the two seasons, I got up, I played at about 305 pounds. Um, I was 340 pounds. So I did a couple weeks of spring ball, my, what would have been my sophomore spring. Yep. Um, and that helped me lose a little weight. But when I stopped playing football, I was about 310 pounds. And now I'm not a football player anymore. I I'm overweight. I, it, you know, it does, I don't need to carry this weight now. So I got to find my new identity. And that was, that was where uh, things got pretty interesting in my story. I would say. Yeah. So, and that's, that's a great transition. So obviously the, the concussion issues and the, the recurring symptoms from, you know, probably multiple, <laughs> I think we've all been, you know, been in those, not we've all, but people who maybe played at the, at the college level or even at the high school level, I think there's a little bit of that. No, no kicker. Kicker is probably excluded from the conversation. Pro yeah, probably. Um, so there, there's a concussion issue. And then you go up, you, you gain a bunch of weight, 340 pounds, no football. Talk to us about where you were from a mental standpoint, a health, you know, and then a physical health standpoint and, and, and give us, give us some of the backstory there, because this is going to be the segue to, you know, I think a, a, a unbelievable personal transition for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, looking back to where I was when I started this journey, to where I am now. And the journey's not done, obviously. The journey's, journey's constantly going every single day. But, uh, you know, I was 310 pounds probably when I'm done playing football. I think that was the exact weight I was. And <laughs> I didn't didn't have football anymore. So I didn't even watch football, I would say, for two years. I mean, I the last, the next time I, like, seriously watched football was when I started coaching at Xavier. Um, and now I have to lose a bunch of weight. So I was on that kind of weight loss path from when I started playing, when I was still playing football at 340, because the they, they, they yeah. wanted me to get down to 290. So I was kind of in a weight loss mode, which did help. Um, and luckily, you know, I was, they taught me a little bit. I'd seen the nutritionist. So I knew what I had to do. So I kind of kept my calories right around 2000 calories a day. And I just stuck to it. You know, I didn't miss a meal. I tracked every calorie I ate for about two years. And wow, that was, you know, one day I just didn't feel like doing it anymore. because I, I got tired of it. But I tracked everything I ate down to the, I don't know, down to the, the crumb of sugar that was on my plate because I just, you know, I, I wanted it really bad. I wanted to kind of remove myself from the football side of things, which wasn't healthy at the time, obviously. Like I wanted to not be a football player anymore. So what's the quickest way to not be a football player? Losing as much weight as I can. And yeah. you know, looking back on that probably wasn't healthy, but it was what I did at the time to lose weight. So I can't, I can't look back and say, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great for me. 
Um, as far as mentally, I was in a terrible, terrible spot. Um, you know, like I said, when you, when you're always a football player, it's, it's hard to not be a football player anymore, especially in the fall. I mean, you turn on ESPN, everything's football. You turn on any channel. I mean, you put, you put on you know, CNN, Fox news, or, you know, one of the political channels, you're going to see football, <laughs> you know? So, um, that that's what made things hard for me. And I kind of just went dark, dark on social media, went dark on television because I just could not stand to see football. Cause I, I felt like I let people down and that, that was really hard for me for a long time. So and I appreciate your, your, your openness, you know, talking, talking about this, cause it, it, it had to be challenging. Um, you know, earlier in the episode, we talked about the, the idea of leadership legacy and, you know, in our definition of leadership, we, we define it by level. There's the first level, which we, we call leadership of self. And, and that's the ability to, you know, coach, coach yourself through challenge, adversity, fear, and temptation. Um, during those dark, that dark time, what were some of the kind of the internal strategies or motivators that you would try to you know, implement to, you know, to, to help yourself turn it around. And then also talk a little bit about some of the support uh, that you either sought out or that, um, you know, sought you out to help you kind of make that transition from, you know, maybe not depressed that I'm not playing football, but a, a low, you know, mental moment there. Yeah. So obviously I got to thank my parents, first of all, because they were, they were amazing. And that was kind of, I always felt like I let my dad down, even though he, I didn't like that was cause I always, I did a lot of, I played football in a way. I mean, that's how I started playing football was for him. Yep. So I always felt like I let him down. So he was great, you know, supporting me through all of this. Um, and then, you know, I had, I had a wonderful psychologist who I talked to throughout the whole process who was amazing. And, you know, she taught me a lot of strategies, but the main thing that I went through that I, or that I found that I needed to kind of bring myself away from football was I had to find other things that I enjoyed. I had to find other things outside of sports. Cause you know, you look at my, you look at my wonderful Xavier resume. Um, yeah, I had the big Falcon. I had the, the NHS and stuff, but I was, I was a football player. Yeah. Um, so I had to find other things, you know, physically, uh, you know, outside of, outside of physical, I don't know what the word would be, but, um, so I found running, you know, I found podcasting, writing, uh, blogging. I found a love for school. I found a love for history. Um, and that was kind of what started turning me around from the dark spot I was in when I was playing football. And golf, golf's on that list too. Well, golf, <laughs> see, golf just started coming up this year with COVID. I hadn't played much. So, you know, I, another year or two on me, I could be dangerous. You never know. <laughs> there you go. Look out, look yeah, out, look out. <laughs> So you go from, and this is, this is crazy. And I'm going to jump around a little bit right here, but this, this blows my mind. You go from a, a 340 pound division one athlete football player to a guy that's done. And I'm not making these numbers up. He's done the Hartford marathon in 19, the Disney marathon in 20, a hundred miles in 35 hours straight absurd and to me like I, I can't fathom what what that would be like and this even more a 260 mile journey from canada to bloomfield connecticut so to say you found a, a new passion I, I think would be a pretty big understatement talk to us a little bit about that journey because you know you joke anybody that's seen a football practice, the linemen aren't necessarily known for their running prowess, right? They're known for moving things and, and people. And tell us a little bit about that whole story. Like where did it, obviously you didn't start doing a hundred mile runs and that type of thing. <laughs> Give us a little bit about that journey. Cause I think it's unbelievable. So, well, life going off the linemen aren't meant or don't really <laughs> run. We'd be at practice and, you know, we'd be doing our like bird dog steps and coach Marion <laughs> thought they would be lazy. He'd be like, you better pick it up over there. I'm going to send your ass over the cross country team. And then ultimately <laughs> I, I coached track this year. So I, I went full circle. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so it started with walking, you know, people, people look at me and I think they think like, Oh, I'm crazy. And, and I'm crazy. Cause I, I do all these insane runs, which aren't really insane retros, you know, compared to some people in the world, but um, it all started with walking around a track. So I went, it was 
2019 Disney marathon weekend. Um, I registered for the 5k, um, in the summer, I had some medical problems that summer, actually got a concussion at work. Um, so I couldn't, yeah, it's, you get off football, you still get a concussion. It's amazing. (laughs) Um, so I could not run really into the fall, early fall. And then I just didn't want to run. (laughs) Yeah. So I really did not prepare for it until like a month before the race. And my parents were all worried because they were like, oh, you're, you're going to pass out and we're going to, they're going to have to bring you off an ambulance at Disney world and all that. So was not, you know, I thought, you know, just cause you're on a 5k at Disney, it's still hard, I guess. And I didn't really believe that at the time. So <laughs> we started doing, we started, I started walking around the track. Um, it was a Saturday after a game on a Friday night, Xavier, when I was coaching. So I'd go out to the track and run. I could not do a mile. Um, so I was like, all right, I got to figure out something else because I got to train somehow. So whatever, I'll walk a mile, I'll walk a lap, run a lap, walk a lap, run a lap, run two minutes, walk a minute, all that. So I worked my intervals. Um, and ultimately I ran the 5k down there. I had a blast. I think I ran it in like 25 minutes, which was pretty good. Um, and my cousin, who's kind of been the impetus in my running journey, I would say, uh, he ran the marathon down there and he's like insane with running. And he kind of taught me, you know, about shoes and about like how to take care of your body and all this stuff. And I just got hooked on it. And I was like, all right, I want to run the marathon next year at Disney. Um, ultimately, you know, I ran the Hartford marathon before that. Um, and then I wouldn't say, I know this is going to be hard for people to believe, but I don't really love to run. Um, (laughs) hear me out, hear me out. People, people like, no, you're lying. No, you're lying. Like, no, I don't. I love to compete. Um, that's kind of my thing. Um, I like going out, going out for a 10 mile or a five mile run. It sucks for me just as much as it sucks for everyone else. Uh, but I love to compete. So, I said, what can I take my body? What level, what place can I take my body to next after the marathon? So I decided to go for, you know, ultra events, ultimately did that hundred mile. Um, and then we did the Canada to Connecticut run, which was kind of a COVID project because there was no races going on. And my, uh, I was going to run a 50 mile race. So I had a bunch of miles on my legs. I was coming off that hundred mile race. So, um, I was like, all right, let's go do something big. And we were said, all right, let's run for Canada, Connecticut. And we did it for a week. So a lot of, we learned a lot on that trip, but luckily we got it done. So, and, and it's not, uh, both the, the hundred mile run and the, the trip, <laughs> the trip from Canada, the, it wasn't just running. So they, they both had, a a purpose beyond running. Tell us a little bit about, uh, I believe the hundred mile run was for the national Alliance of mental health. And then the, the 260 mile run to, from Canada to Connecticut was in support of of food share, give, uh, give the listeners a little bit of insight into those two organizations and why, you know, I guess you wanted to represent them or support them through your efforts. Yeah. So, um, ever since I was having the issues with football, um, I, you know, through like groups, support groups and stuff, I found out about NAMI, um, which is National Alliance on Mental Illness. I never really, I never utilized their services, but you know, that was kind of the charity that I, I looked to support. Um, I always did there. They had a 5k walk every year in Hartford, um, that I've been doing for the past five years. Um, so ultimately I didn't do it this year, uh, because I did this hundred mile run. So I figured, you know, virtual 5k or go run a hundred miles on the track. So I did the, did the hundred miles on the track. Uh, they're, they're a great organization. Um, anything to do with mental health and mental illness and supporting people is, you know, it, it touches my heart. So I really, really was great. I got to run for them. Um, and then the, the Canada, Connecticut run food share, didn't really know about food share before. Um, my mom had dealt with them. She's a professor at Manchester community college. Okay. Um, so they have something called empty bowl fundraiser every year. Um, and they weren't going to be able to do it this year for food share. So that raised about $25,000. So I, I wanted to do a big charity run. I had a guy on my podcast who ran, um, he did a crazy run in the U S and, uh, I was like, all right, next day I'm like, all right, I want to do a crazy run too. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, he, so he, he did that. And then I, I went walk in with my mom the next day. I'm like, mom, I want to do something big. Like I, I heard about this guy, like, or I talked to him, let's, let's do it. And she's like, okay, you need charity. I'm like, all right. So she suggested food share. And then we're like, we need a, uh, we need a route. And it was Canada to Connecticut. And, you know, it was great because food share was in so much, they were in debt, but they were doing the, the line, you see the lines at Rentschler Field with the uh, food donations because of the hard time everyone's experiencing with COVID. It was, yeah. it wasn't, 
great, great charity to run for. And we ended up raising $17,000 for him. Wow. What the, I guess, before I ask you about the end of that, um, I don't know if you saw it yet, but I, you've been nominated to do some push-ups uh, for a, a mental health awareness uh, via Facebook. I know that whole thing's going around and I, I threw you, I, I threw you into that today. Okay. I've been seeing you. I've been seeing, I've been liking your, uh, the, your posts. I have not seen the, the nomination yet. Yeah, but I, think get... I, I think I nominated you today. So tomorrow, 25 for 25 days. All right. <laughs> um, what was my brother, Greg went up to you, I guess, crossing the finish line, uh, up in Bloomfield. What <laughs> obviously you had to be cooked, Right. You had to be just, you know, exhausted. I think you, did you make a stop in like Springfield ish? And then the last bit was. Yeah. So the last night we stopped right outside of Springfield. Um, and then we ran back. It, like, so the way it works is like the road, the roads weren't super safe right around where we we're going to run, like with all the cars. So we ended up doing like 10 miles in Agawam on this like track area. Yeah. And then we end up running in to get the full 260. But yeah, we stopped right outside of Springfield the last night. How was what was it like? And cause you mentioned in the beginning that delayed gratification and this hard work for a, a reward. You don't know if it's going to come. What was it? What was the going through your mind when you crossed the finish line there at, 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 at food share in Bloomfield? Well, the, uh, the guy, like the, the Jay Jacobowski is the CEO of food share. And he said to me, he's like, if you guys want to make this an annual thing, like right after we cross the finish line, I'm like, man, I need, I need a minute, man. <laughs> he's like, all right, send me an email this week. Uh, but yeah, so I, I was, I was, I was shot. I was gassed the whole week. I mean, I would say the first day we did 46 miles and we had more of an aggressive plan. Um, we were going to go really high mileage early and then pull off late in the week. So we kind of went high mileage and then kind of consistently middle of the road mileage. Cause we just weren't able, I wasn't, my legs weren't able to take it. My cousin, he went for a 13 mile run the day after oh we got goodness. back. Yeah. He, he's a freak, but um, <laughs> let's see. I'm not that crazy people. There's crazy. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, so we're running and mostly going through my head the whole time was why did I do this <laughs> for like, you know, I mean, it, that's obvious. Why, why did I do this? And I, I didn't, it was, it was really hard, uh, the whole time, pretty much. I mean, there was not a moment after that first day where I was like, this is, this is going really well, except, you know, we got into some flow states obviously. Um, uh, but there day four of the trip, I'm, I'm, we walk up this like mile Hill and, I'm crying. I'm in so much pain. My ankle is destroyed. I got KT tape all over me. Um, and it were, we had to get hit 40 miles that day or we weren't gonna, the mileage would have been too high the next three days to finish. Yeah. Um, or, it, you know, it would have been pushing 50 miles and we had, we oh. could not do that. So we had to hit 40 that day. It was mile 23. We climb up the hill and I am just shot. My dad, who was amazing. He was driving the support vehicle the whole time. And there was our crew chief. Um, and he had to sleep in a queen bed with me every night. So he was a trooper. He's a champion. Uh, yeah. Champion. So he, so he's in the car and I'm like, I walk, I'm defeated. Like I'm crying. He's like ready to pack it in and go home. Cause he was worried about us, obviously. And my cousin's like, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I said, I'm going to sit here for like 10 minutes. I'm going to feel sorry for myself and I'm going to get up and we're going to get after it. Um, so that was kind of the turning point for me. I knew once we got through that, we'd be able to do it, but there's some really painful moments. I mean, every night waking up at midnight, just being in so much pain because um, my body was not ready for it. You yeah. know, it like I had not done 40 miles every day for seven days straight. It just, it wasn't, I wasn't there yet. So I'm glad we got through it. I'm thankful we got through it. We made a really good time, but um, if it wasn't for my cousin, I don't know if I would have been able to, to finish it off. Which is so in turn, like obviously recognizing that you just needed that short break to just get the negative crap out of the system. And then, you know, to start to you know, take that next step and, and just start it. How, um, how much of a role did your cousin play? So, you know, and I liken it to, I think the first year I went to Springfield for football, they, they give you a mail, a, a packet home and like, here's your weightlifting program. And it was like, you got to have a buddy because sometimes there's those days when, you know, you don't have that fire or it's hard to find that fire internally and you need that kick in the ass from somebody else to get you back on track. And it's how, how big of a role did your cousin play throughout that? And talk to us a little bit about like your internal battles, but then having the, your, your dad and your cousin there to support you throughout. Uh, he was, I mean, my dad was massive support the whole time. He, my cousin was amazing. 
Uh, and this was kind of my cousin. We weren't, we were close, but we weren't super close before we both started running. So this was kind of our first week together that we spent a whole week together. Like intense uh, together. Intense <laughs> together. Yeah. Like, like he would, you know, he'd be, I'd hear him in the middle of the night. He'd get like a peanut butter cup and like scoop peanut butter on it and eat it. We, me and my dad would just hear like crumbling, crumbling wrappers and stuff. So yeah, we really found out a lot about each other that week. Um, luckily I didn't have to sleep in a bed with him, but you know, my dad, <laughs> my dad still didn't like that. All right. So we're, he was huge. Um, you know, it, I couldn't have done it without him, but there were times when he was really big and there were times when we kind of just, we were in our own head. So, yeah. you know, there were moments like that day where, you know, he kind of got me through there. There was a moment on the last day when I fell to the ground cause I got a shooting pain up through my leg and he was there to like help me stretch out. Um, but there were times when, you know, you're just, you're in, you're like in an animalistic state, like. <laughs> You're like, I, like you just eyes, I, you know, head down, eyes shut, moving forward. Not literally. I don't want to get hit by a car, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like just head down, eyes shut. Like I'm just, I'm taking, I'm in this pain. I'm taking it as much as I can. I'm going to keep moving forward. And like, once you get over that hump, kind of, you start taking the pain, the pain just stabilizes at one point. And then you're like, yeah. okay, like this is just a constant state of pain, but you kind of feel like, okay, I'm a badass. Like I'm taking <laughs> this right now. Um, so yeah, they, it was kind of a combination of all three. And there were times when he went down and I had to help him out. Um, you know, we would start our day with some like comedy skits on our phones. Like, you know, we'd listen to some comedy. Um, and then we would kind of just run for a while, maybe talk. And then by the middle of the day, we were just no conversation, just head down, eyes shut, getting in miles zone, in. Going yeah. For it. yeah. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it now, like to go through something like that and to, to be successful in, in, an initiative like that you're, you're you're a better person now than you were before that trip i you know i would say that is that a fair assessment and if yes why yeah i definitely a better person um i learned you know physically first of all i learned that the body is capable of so much more than you think it is like you know we all listen to david goggins and the whole 40 percent rule and all that stuff that's true like yeah. I, you know I, haven't, I don't think i've tapped into it as much as he has yet um but like, that is true. Like when you think you're, when you don't think you can go anymore, you can still go. And, you know, I, I kind of learned that back at Xavier. Um, you know, when you're doing conditioning with coach Marin and like, you think you're done, you're done, but again, conditioning only is going to last 20, 25 minutes, you know? Yeah. So, but this was like, when you think you can't go, you can still go. And the same thing goes for in life. You know, if I'm working on writing or I'm working on a podcast or if I'm working on anything I'm doing in life, when you think it's over, when you think you can't do anymore, you can still do more. Like, yeah. And then the same thing goes socially in relationships. Like when you think something's something's over, something's like done, it's past the point of no return. Like you can go, you can go work on it. You can get the job done. That's awesome. And to, to anybody listening, what Tanner just touched on that idea of it's, it's in alignment with, again, something I think we preach a lot through empower is like, Hey, nothing's great. Nothing great's going to happen in that comfort zone. Right. It's taking that step beyond it and realizing that it's not a matter of I can or can't. It's a matter of, you know, do I care enough to, to do it? And do I, do I have that drive and will to, to forge forward, even though, you know, there's some alarms going off inside of the body saying, Hey, shut it down. It's a little tough right now. It's a little uncomfortable. And there's so much more that I think we have inside of ourselves that we give ourselves credit for. Yeah. And I, I mean, I learned that along the way too at like Xavier and when you go to football practice and you got three hours of homework when you get home and you got to get it done, you know, yep. it like, it all kind of built up everything I went through to this run. And then this run just took it to a whole nother level where I learned that I could go even farther than I always thought I could go. So, you know, looking back on the run, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. Um, I, I crossed the finish line after he said like, Hey, you want to make this an annual thing? We got in the car, we drove home. I had like a big piece of cake. Um, and I was like, all right, what, what's next? You know, but <laughs> right when I crossed the finish line, I was like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> so great question. And we're not done yet, but what is, what, what is next? How do you top that off? <laughs> I, you know, my cousin, so we were getting interviewed after by one of the news channels and he was like, they're like, so what, what's next for you guys? And he was like, we're going to double the distance. I'm like, ah. I'm like, shut the Shut up. Um, you know, I don't really know yet. He's still trying to figure it out. I'm just, my goal right now is kind of to get in great physical shape lifting wise too. Cause I've kind of gone away from lifting. Um, 
and I'm trying to get that back a little more. And obviously not enough where it messes up my golf swing, but <laughs> right. I think maybe, maybe that's why I've been sucking at golf. I've been lifting like three, four days a week. So could be it. I would. <laughs> yeah, I think you should absolutely state that on the first tee uh, anytime you play <laughs> a little stiff in lifting again, the game's a little off right now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so the Tanner, Tanner as I, I mentioned at the, at the onset of the episode, you're a content creator. You have this awesome website has, you know, the Tanner Kern blogs, the Tanner Kern podcasts. What was the, the inspiration to start the website and give us a little flair for, you know, what someone can expect when they dive into one of your, your articles or one of your podcast episodes. Uh, so that was a really, like I said before, it was a COVID project. Um, I need something to do. I wanted, I wanted to kind of use my stories to inspire some people and uh, if you, if you go on there, I mean, we're 30, you'll be the, you know, 34th podcast episode, I believe we've nice. done, done a lot of blogs. Um, so it's really inspiring content. You know, the podcasts are more, you're going to get a wide variety of people. It's, there's a lot of running stuff on there, but there's also a lot of non-running stuff and a lot of other inspirational stories, but it's mainly a fitness, health, mental health, kind of lifestyle, sort of making you live the best life that you can possibly live inspirational content. Um, blog wise, uh, you know, there's, there's running blogs, there's, uh, workout blogs, there's quotes to get you motivated. There's, um, you know, just mental health blogs. There's a lot of stuff. That's kind of what I, what I, it's kind of my journey, what I've learned along my personal journey and translating it into words. Uh, but you know, there you can go and you can find this. Everyone can find something that they'll enjoy on there. Um, you know, whether you're a runner or not a runner, whether you're into working out, whether you're trying to lose weight. So, uh, yeah, a wide variety of stuff. Again, the, the website, it's tannerkern.com, and it's uh, yeah, everything's hosted on there, the, the blogs, the podcast episodes. It's absolutely, again, I'm not a runner, but you know, I found myself trapped in the website for a little bit of time earlier today in preparation for the episode. And you know, what I loved about, you know, there's more for me to see, but what I loved about what I saw on your site, Tanner, was the fact that I think that it, there's a storytelling element and it's personal. It's, it is about, you know, some of the struggles people face and what they did to try to kind of dig out of those struggles. And, you know, that again, getting back to that concept of it, it's a process. It's not going to be something that you decide one day, I want to do this and it's done. It's uh, it's that journey and taking some lumps and enjoying the successes, but always taking the next step. And um, for anybody that wants to, you know, add some, uplifting content to their lives, whether it's run, you know, running related or just in their personal lives. It's, it's a absolutely worth the uh, website worth checking out for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what makes it so great when I hear from people, you know, they reach out to me on social media saying they got something out of any content, whether it was one sentence or a whole podcast episode, you know, <laughs> it really does make it all worth it for uh, the writing I'm doing. The only thing I was a little disappointed on is I, I noticed you wearing some some sweet TK gear and there's no little TK shop on the website. You know, is that in the makings or what? It, it's in the making. You know, I'm not an expert on taking credit cards online yet, um, but we're, we're working on it. There you uh, go. So I've had, you know, I've had a few online stores available for a temporary time, but hopefully we can get something something going full time. You know, the kids up at Xavier give me some really good ideas for, uh, for slogans for my t-shirts. So I might, have to, might have to make a few of them. <laughs> tap into the creative youthfulness of those high school students man yeah they'll, they'll either send you down the right path or the wrong path just to, just go with it go hard yeah, yeah definitely <laughs> hey this is uh you know tanner kern he's on the lead with empower podcast he talks talking a lot about his journey from a, a 340 pound division one football player to a 200 pound competitive uh ultra runner marathon runner and a guy that's doing it to help out some great causes as well and um, some great inspirational stuff right here tanner we're on the home stretch all right a couple quick hitters to wrap things up right I here love it i'm having a blast i'm excited to interview you i am as well and we've been talking about doing this for a while and i'm, I'm happy it's it's come to fruition here today um how old, you're how old now i'm 23 god you're so young I'm getting old, man. I, I, I uh, you see, you say that, like, I look back and, you know, I'm coaching at Xavier. I'm like, when are you guys born? They're like, we're born in the 2000s. I'm like, wow, I'm a 1990s baby. <laughs> so I'm getting old too. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> 
current Tanner, if he could talk to recent graduate Tanner and give one bit of advice or wisdom, what would it be and why? Um, I would say do the things that you do for yourself. Don't do them for anyone else. Um, that's kind of been my biggest struggle over the years. And even now still, I, I like pleasing people, you know, and I always, I learned this, you know, through the journey, disappointment's part of life. Like you're going to disappoint people. Um, so I would say, don't be so hard on yourself. Um, do what you want to do for yourself and don't be afraid to disappoint others. Just give it, put your best foot forward. And if you're happy with what you did at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Yep. You'll be able to sleep well at night after a good effort like that. Love it. Yep. Um, Outside of, I know you're, you're very, um, you know, tied to that, your own personal development, but what's something beyond the, the internal factors that motivates you to, to, to continue putting out great content, to, to continue pushing yourself with these runs? Uh, what's, what's the external motivating factor, I guess, or an inspiration for you? I would say just helping others, you know, whenever someone, yeah, I think in life, we all want to help others in some capacity, whether it's, yeah, it can be something super small or something, you know, really big, but you know, I, I feel like I've been put here to help others in some capacity. So if someone reaches out to me and they want to know what I did for weight loss and it works for them, or they have some success or they read one of my blogs or podcasts and they have some success from that, or they take something, um, that's really, that's really kind of the, what drives me more than even internally. You know, I like, I like growing, having personal growth, but I love seeing others succeed. And I think, by me having my personal growth that can really translate and help others have their own personal growth. Yep. Love it. Um, if you were to go out on a run right now, are you putting on like, are you putting on music or do you like the quiet or does it just depend on the day? Oh, I'm, I'm putting on the empower leadership podcast. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it depends on the day. I would say like today I went out and it was raining. So I, uh, I didn't listen to anything. I kind of just was, you know, soaking in all the rain. Yeah. Um, but it depends on the day. I'll do podcasts. I'll do music. I'll just uh, nothing. But when I race, I do nothing. Yeah. Kind of just, you know, all into. If you I'm need to get through. like juiced up, freaking jacked up for a, for a run, what what's the what's the song you're putting on right out of the gate? Hmm. <laughs> I you know I think like Dreams and Nightmares by Meek Mill. I <laughs> I think I think okay, it might not be by him. I think it is. But I remember I listened to my old I'm not a big rap guy. I'm a country music guy. Okay? okay. But they didn't want that in the the locker room at Xavier in the weight room. So I always listen to this rap. <laughs> I listen to this rap stuff. I always hated it. But there were a few songs that I liked. And maybe I liked them because I was ready, getting ready to go to war on Friday night at Palmer Field. Yep. But, um, you know, I would say one of those one of those uh, rap songs gets me right. going. <laughs> um. You know, last question right here, and, and I couldn't ask for a better guy to, to share a message here, but obviously we're in the middle of this, this ongoing pandemic and isolation and changes to, you know, how, how we do things. And there, there are people that are struggling, whether it's, uh, you know, physical or, or mental health. What, um, if you had to give a, a, a statement or comment of inspiration for those people that might be going through some challenges right now, what would that be Tanner? It will get better. Um, but you have to put in the steps to make it better. Um, so, you know, where I was, I always, I was in a dark place and I didn't think it was going to get any better. You just have to keep moving forward every day, do something that's going to get you ahead, whether it's, you know, I, I, you're in really bad shape and you, you know, you're trying to lose a bunch of weight, just go for a walk, yep. do 10 minutes, do five minutes. Anything's better than nothing, but everything will get better. It, you know, there's ebbs and flows, but you need to put in the steps to make it better. And I know that can be hard sometimes, but the smallest step can translate into another step and another step. And eventually now, now you're walking, now you're running, now you're, you know, you're making progress. So love it. Love it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Tanner Kern. He leads with Empower, knocks it absolutely out of the park, just like the one good drive he hit in our 18 holes the last time we played, <laughs> crushes it down the middle. Um, don't uh, don't forget to check him out, TannerKern.com. He's got a great blog, great podcast, and you know, sign up. You'll get his newsletter. You get his blogs right to your inbox. But a guy that's you know churning out some some motivating and inspiring stuff, especially during a time when I think. You know, everybody can hear that positive, uplifting message, Tanner. I really appreciate you being on tonight. You crushed it. 
looking forward to uh, flipping rolls in a moment here. But uh, ladies and gents, thanks for checking it out. Take Tanner's advice. Hey, one step is better than no steps. And, and that one will probably turn into more than one right after that. Be safe. We'll check you out next time on the Lead With Empower podcast. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.